0: Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ulmo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. And we've got two weeks to go in our journey through Exodus, our theme for this first term has been the theme of salvation. And you saw in Jordan's story this morning, with a great to see Jordan on the screen this morning sharing his story. Oh, we've been encouraging people to share their stories of salvation. What has God done in your life? And it's not too late. We're gonna keep encouraging that just to take a moment to post a 60 second video on Instagram or Facebook or to email it in. Just this is my story. This is what God's done in my life. And part of the discipline of that has been encouraging those of us that have a relationship with Jesus to be able to articulate what God has done in us. And so we've been talking though about this theme of salvation, the way that God has come and saved and rescued His people. And ultimately that lands in the person and the work and the ministry of Jesus. But we go right back to the beginning and the early parts of the Scriptures in the book of Exodus, where we see some of the themes that are unfolded in Jesus, starting to outwork. This morning, I'm gonna talk about something that I think people that haven't even grown up in the church know about. It's a thing called the 10 Commandments. Now, depending on where you stand and how you understand them might depend on how you see them. Some people think 10 Commandments, church, God, law, rules, regulations, that's why I want nothing to do with them. But I, I'm an avid football fan. Who here likes football? It doesn't matter what code, just a little show of hands. I know any time I use a football illustration, I'm speaking to the minority, right? But you'll all understand this illustration. I, I love football. It's one of my favourite things to do on a weekend through winter is to sit down and watch my teams play footy. And uh, the AFL and the NRL stand in equal stead for me. I'm, uh, it depends which of my teams is doing better. This year, Parramatta is doing better than the Sydney Swans. So NRL's getting a bigger look in my house. But last Saturday night, I was watching my AFL team, the Sydney Swans play uh, the Western Bulldogs at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne. And there were some A-listers in the crowd. Uh, Liam Hemsworth, I think was there with Matt Damon. They seemed to kind of be best friends, travel in Australia together. And because they were in the crowd, the camera kept panning to the box that they were sitting in. And over time, you see all these other people would turn up in the box and try to get their moment with the Hollywood celebrities that were there. But through the night, you saw Matt Damon, who's an American, getting obvious education in the rules of Australian football. Like if you're thrust into an Australian football match and you have no idea what's happening, you could see people constantly pointing things out and whispering in his ears. Every time the camera panned to Matt Damon, someone was explaining the game that he was watching. And you see, we... we, We love to bag the referees and beat up on the referees, but AFL only exists as a spectacle because of the rules that govern the game. We don't like to think about rules, but imagine if you just stuck 36 blokes on a big oval and threw a ball in the middle of them and said, we're just gonna blow a whistle, go for it. First one to get the ball down the other end wins. You wouldn't have a spectacle, you would have chaos. Actually, a game like this exists. It's called the Atherstone Ball Game. It happens every year on Shrove Tuesday, which was just passed a few weeks ago. I read about this in the news. And the Atherstone Ball Game has three rules. The game must be played on this particular street in this county of England. I think it's called Long Street. So that's the field of play. The second rule is, We're gonna throw in a big pigskin ball on the street and whoever holds that ball when the whistle blows at the end of two hours wins the game, second rule. Third rule, this is legitimate, do not kill anybody. Ready? Here's some photos of the Atherstone ball game. This is what AFL would look like if there were no rules. Now, I considered showing you a video, but it is way too bloody and violent to show in church (laughs) because you can imagine a whole bunch of 20 to 30 to 40-year-old males on a paved street with a big pigskin and two hours to have the ball in their hand. It gets pretty violent. You see, I love AFL. I love the spectacle of the game. And even though we don't like to talk about the rules, it's the rules that help it become a great spectacle. Have you ever heard these charges levelled against Christianity? God is a killjoy. I thought, do people use that? I Google it, it's everywhere. God is a killjoy. Or Christianity is just a straitjacket. I think there's a chapter in a book that Tim Keller wrote on the reason for God that that argues, that that talks about the argument that Christianity is just a straitjacket or Christianity is just about rules, rules, rules. And for a variety of reasons, a whole subset of our community has grown to believe that Christian faith is merely defined by a list of do's and don'ts, but we're actually really good at telling them what the don'ts are, right? And so it's like, well, why would I wanna be part of what you do? It's just... It's just a limiter of my freedom. It's just, it kills faith. It kills joy. That's what God is like. He's all about the rules. know, <clears throat> sometimes to address this, I reckon we as people of faith can go to the point of wanting to ignore the rules. And so we focus solely on things like grace, but we present grace in a messy. grace isn't separate from rules, but we can present grace like it's a licence to do what you want. But the question I wanna ask this morning is what if the rules, what if the law that God gives us actually has the very capacity to do the thing that people criticise the most, which is to offer us absolute freedom? What if the law that God gives us actually does the thing that we seek the most, which is to find absolute freedom? Just to catch you up on the Exodus story as we've unpacked it in recent weeks, Israel, Israel, at the start of Exodus, we find out, is enslaved in the land of Egypt. This is a historical story. It's not a kid's story, it's a historical story. The people of Israel are enslaved in the land of Egypt. And the Bible tells us that they were enslaved for 400 years. And the Exodus story tells us of the miraculous circumstances through which God rescued a nation out of slavery. But here's the thing about a group of people that have lived in slavery for 400 years. <clears throat> they had no reference point about how to live as people that weren't slaves. You see, they only knew slavery. They knew somebody else dictating every moment of their day, telling them where they must wake, where they must live, how they must sleep, what they must work, what they must produce. Uh, you know, th- every aspect of their life was dictated to as slaves. And it wasn't just a short season of life that they knew this. We're talking 400 years. So when the current generation talk to their parents and their grandparents and their great, great, great grandparents, guess what their reference point was? Slavery. And so God does this miraculous act of picking up these people out of a land of slavery and leading them into freedom. But what happens then? Imagine just for a minute of what, a, of what a nation would form if people that knew nothing but slavery were thrown into a new community and God just said, work it out. You know what I reckon it'd be like? I reckon it'd be like God pushing them into the street, throwing them the the pigskin, saying, don't kill each other, work it out. When the whistle blows, we see who's standing. What would that say about the nature of God? What would that say to us about the nature of God? You know, I think today needs to be a new starting point for some of us in understanding the role of law or rules. Because when we understand them in the context which they're given, it starts to show us that God is a God of love. And His heart for you is is out of His love and His heart for you, He wants to give you some boundaries in life that don't limit your freedom, but help you flourish the way that He always intended for you to flourish. God created life with order. This world that He created has order. And so when we learn to live within the boundaries of that order, we learn to flourish. Let me pick up the Exodus story today from chapter 19. On the first day of the month, After the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain or Mount Sinai. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you were to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you were to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. Hear this. This is a relationship that God is established and establishing. Although the whole Earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you were to speak to the Israelites. And so Moses goes back down off the mountain. I'm not going to read you the whole thing because we'd be here for ages, but Moses goes down off the mountain and reports to the people of Israel what God said, and they said, "Tell God, we'll do whatever He tells us to do." So Moses goes back up the mountain, and in this mighty moment, there's this really holy moment where cloud and fire descend on the mountain, and, and people are so aware of the presence of God in that moment. And out of that, God speaks to Moses but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then we go on, we get the 10. So we start off, I'm the Lord your God, have no other gods before me. Do not make any idols, no, do not make any images. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day, take a day off. Honour your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery. Don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't covet. I'm gonna blow the whistle, here comes the pigskin. You what God says, He goes, okay, Let me help you start life really well. I'm just gonna give you 10 to start with. And as we read beyond that, God unpacks it and starts to give regulation underneath that and starts to, you know, some of the laws that we read. Be honest, if you want to go and read the book of the law, you will get confused at part, and there'll be some things you just go, What? You will. Okay, just do it. It's just a great bedtime reading. Read Leviticus for bedtime reading. One, it's gonna help some of you get to sleep quicker but it's gonna confuse a whole bunch. There's just some reality that we we have to understand. We're reading back into a context thousands of years ago and some of the circumstances and the way life was, we're not gonna understand all of it. But I reckon in these 10, we can get a sense of the heart of God and we can see a big picture picture for how He wants to order community. First, He says, the first couple of laws say, okay, if you're gonna get this right, the first thing you need to understand is I must be put in my proper place. You gotta treat me well, you gotta treat me right, treat me appropriately. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, no one else. Don't worship anyone else. Don't bow the knee to anyone else. Don't make anything else. Number one in your life, honour me, obey me, worship me. I am the one and the only. If you wanna flourish, let God sit in the proper place in your life and in our church. That's how you start to flourish. And so God starts in that very place. If you really wanna do well, Israel, Make me number one. I reckon he'd say the same thing as today. Gateway Ormo, if you wanna do well, before we get into all the other stuff, put me in my proper place. I'm it, no one else, I'm it. And then he goes on to give them some big picture rules for community life. Now, I don't reckon too many people argue with these and and our society at a whole is built on a lot of these precepts. Honour your parents, don't murder don't commit adultery, don't steal. Don't give false testimony, don't covet. Oh God, that killjoy that doesn't want us to kill each other, take each other's wives, steal from one another and covet each other's stuff. Like get the heart of God in this. And you know, these 10 laws have become Famous. And lots of people know about the Ten Commandments, but hardly anyone can tell you what's in them. Because when I read them, what I actually see is a heart of God that says, okay, a nation of slavery, you're in the desert, you're going to have to organise, you're going to have to do this well. I don't want you to kill each other. That's a good start. Even the Stone ball game decides that that's the one rule they want to have. You can punch each other, you can bite each other, but don't kill one another, right? God says, don't kill one another. I want you to know when you lie your head down on the pillow at night that... You're safe. Don't, don't covet each other's stuff because what comes from coveting? Jealousy and envy and hatred and slander. and you know I don't, it's, it's not a good thing. It's not good for your heart to start to covet other people's stuff. Don't steal another bloke's wife. I want you to feel like that you can feel within the context of relationship of this community that this is a safe place to be. Don't lie. Don't tell stories about each other that aren't true. Go and talk to the person affected, find out what the truth is and deal with it. Don't gossip, don't go around the edges, don't make up things that are actually going to ruin someone else's reputation. Man, some of these we get, don't we? Some of them are a little bit harder. I don't know about you, but it's easier to talk about someone than it is to talk to them at times, isn't it? And God just says, don't do that. I hope you can see God's heart in it. And there's two things I want to say about the law as it's presented to us. And as God presents it to the people of Israel this day, at the foot of Mount Sinai, to Moses on the mountain, and the first thing is this: law actually brings freedom. Law brings freedom. Now we've almost made these things polar opposites in our conversations around faith. We, we've said that law or rules actually is about limitation, it's about restriction, it's about a denial of freedom. But that's not the nature of the rules that God puts around our lives. They're actually for freedom. I spend a couple of days a week at our Mackenzie campus. If you've ever been there, you understand the drive from here to there. It's about a 40k drive straight up the M1. And uh, on a good day, on a Sunday when it's not sunny and it's not a good day to be going to the beach, therefore there's no traffic on the road, I can actually get from here to there in about 28 minutes. Like it's a good run, straight on the M1, 110 or 100ks, the whole way you get off and it's like 800 metres to the church. Like a 28 minute drive for me to get from here to there. You want one of the things that helps me get there in 28 minutes? Is some of the rules that regulate the way that traffic works. Now, not everybody adheres to them, but when I get in my car and I follow the rules on our roads, it actually helps me get to my destination safely, but not just safely, quickly. I've been to some countries that don't adhere to the road rules the same way we do. And trying to get anywhere that's 40 kilometres away can take you three or four hours. You see, rules don't bring limitation. Sometimes rules actually bring freedom. They actually help us navigate life better because we stay in our lane and God actually helps us find the freedom that comes from the things that He puts around us. If we jump to the New Testament, James chapter one says this, this is one of my favourite verses. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Now there's blunt preaching right there, isn't it? What a great message. I reckon he just dropped the mic after that and sat down. And said, Message is done for the day. Don't just listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And don't be, in other words, don't become an expert in Christianity, but be a hypocrite in the way you live it. Actually speak less and live more. And then let your words catch up with your lifestyle. Don't let Don't just listen to the Word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. But then he goes on to say this. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that what gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. And looking intently at the law that what gives freedom. You see, we rebel against rules that we perceive limit our freedom. But God's rules will only ever make full sense when we realise His heart to show us a way of life that will lead to ultimate freedom. See, God's rules aren't to limit you or to condemn you. They're actually to help you live life in freedom. Therefore, when we break them, His heart breaks, but not in a desire to condemn us, but a desire to gently restore us to a place where we live within the confines of life as He's defined it again. See, we rebel against anything that we perceive limits our freedoms, but God's rules will only ever make sense when we realise His heart to show us a way of life that will lead to ultimate freedom. You see, AFL, NRL, soccer, that football, soccer, or football as in everywhere else in the world. These games become great spectacles when the teams play within the spirit of the game and within the rules. Now, The Israelites are invited to live in a God-shaped community that brings freedom. Don't murder each other, live in safety. Don't steal, protect each other's properties. Don't covet, protect each other's relationships. Freedom comes when we discover God's way and we live within that. But more than freedom, living within God's law does something else. It actually helps us to flourish. If you go to the fifth book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, it, the 10 commandments are presented again. But at the end of it, it says this, Deuteronomy five twenty nine to 32. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to hear me and keep all my commands always so that they might go well with them and their children forever. Listen to that. So that it might go well with them and their children forever. Go tell them to return to their tents, God says, but you stay here with me, Moses, so that I may give you all the commands, decrees and laws that you are to teach them to follow in the land I'm giving them to possess. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. There is God's heart. I'm gonna show you how to do it. Why? because I'm a killjoy, because I'm a dictator, because I want you to stop having fun. No, I'm gonna show you how to do it that you may live and prosper and prolong your days. That is God's heart for the people of Israel. But you know what? That's God's heart for you and me today. God's law leads to flourishing. It's actually the thing that helps us become fully human because when we live within it we start to operate the way god designed us to always operate and the crazy thing is it's so often countercultural and we talk about generosity generosity is countercultural sacrificial giving of time to others is countercultural putting someone in front of you is countercultural and so we don't often go there because we love to push ourselves ahead but guess what the joy that comes when we start to live life the way that God intended it is incredible. God does it to help us flourish. I went to a nursery just up the road about 18 months, two years ago now and looking for some plants to put along the back fence in our house. And I looked outside the office and there were these beautiful red, I just want stuff that's easy maintenance, right? And these beautiful red, and cheap, two things, easy maintenance, cheap. These beautiful red flowering, trees like red leaves and they just looked great they were not too bushy there was no spikes on them and they were about this tall and I talked to the guy says so easy you know they grow really quickly and they get up to that height and you can create a bit of a hedge with them they're really nice so I went and bought half a dozen and planted them in my garden now after all this rain a few of them are doing all right but there's two or three that are about that high after two years they're still alive but they're not flourishing why are they not flourishing I've got four balls boys, boys that love to play cricket, soccer, football and any other sport in the backyard. Every time they kind of lift their head up, they get knocked down by a football. More than that, we've got a pool in the back corner of our house and the chlorinated water flows out over these plants. They're not exactly getting great nutrients in the soil. More than that, it hasn't rained a lot lately and plants need water. You see, these plants are still living, but a few of them aren't flourishing because of where they're living and sometimes the environment in which they're in. But if we start to live within the environment that God places us within, we begin to flourish. You know, some of us are failing to flourish because we've neglected the life that God has called us to live and the laws that He calls us to follow. But we're probably getting to the moment where some of you wish you didn't come to church today. Because at some point we have to actually have a look inside and ask ourselves the question, are we telling God that we've actually worked out a better way to do this? Because human history tells us that every time people think that they've found a better way to do it, than God tells them to do it. It fails spectacularly. And so this morning, I'm gonna get us to turn the spotlight in on us. It's gonna be really hard for some of you because you really wanna turn the spotlight on somebody else. Some of us are really good at telling everyone else what their problems are. Well, I reckon this morning, God, by His Holy Spirit, wants to do something in us. And I want to ask the question of what does this mean for us today? I want to say this firstly. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you've never come to the place of putting your faith in Jesus and declaring Him as Lord of your life. One, I'm really glad you're here. Yeah, you're welcome here. And I hope you stay here as long as you need to to unpack those questions and express your doubts and explore Christian faith for yourself. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, I want you to hear something very, very important. Relationship with Jesus came before rules. Israel wasn't handed a bunch of rules and it was based on their adherence to them as to whether God loved them or not. Actually, God called this group of people, these people of Israel to be his own. And he said, okay, I'm gonna establish a covenant with you. I'm gonna establish a relationship with you. I'm gonna be your God, you're gonna be my people. And because of that relationship, he says, now I wanna tell you about how you should live. I just want you to think about it like this, right? I have five kids and we have some rules in our house, but the rules exist with my kids because they're my kids. My rules don't exist or apply to your kids. They apply to my kids because we're family. But the rules aren't the thing that actually make me love my kids. When they do the things that Chrissy and I ask them to do, family life functions better. But if they break those rules, guess what? They're still my kids and I still love them. So if you're here this morning and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, it's not about you actually getting all this stuff right before God will love you. God, first and foremost, wants you to experience His love and invite you into a relationship. And then guess what? Patiently and over time, he wants to speak into your life and help shape you to be more like Him. You will never earn your way into God's good books. I've been following Jesus for 35 years and I made as many mistakes yesterday as I probably made 32 years ago in my faith relationship with Jesus. And the grace of God is very real and very true for me in this moment as it is for anybody here that is a believer in Jesus. We, just because you're a believer in Jesus, you don't get it all right. But I hope that 35 years into that journey, I've got some stuff that are more aligned with the heart of God than I did when I started. See, you'll never behave your way into God's good books. The law isn't about you having a standard by which you measure up against. And if you measure up against it, God will think you're okay. No, 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 come right back to the start. God just says, I love you. I've done everything I can do to forgive your sins. I'd love you to make me the Lord of your life. Relationship always comes before rules. And if you've never made the decision to put Jesus first, I'm gonna give you a chance at the end of my sermon in a couple of minutes to do that. But just for a minute, a few minutes, let me talk to those of us here today that have already made that decision, that have made Jesus Lord and Saviour. And I just wanna get a little bit confronting for a moment. You see, as the law in the Old Testament begins to unpack, we start to see this line repeated time and time again. Leviticus 11:45. God says this, I'm the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Chapter 19, verse two in Leviticus. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 27, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. And it goes on and on. I could keep going, but we're not gonna spend all day looking at verses where God says, be holy because I am holy. Well, what is it to be holy? What is holiness? Holiness, the word itself means this, to be set apart, to be sacred or to be different. So God says, I want you to live a sacred life. I want you to live a life that's different. I want you to live a life that's set apart. I want you to be holy as I am holy. Part of what God wants to do in us is align our life with His and start to clean up the mess, to address the brokenness and to confront the sin to confront the things we knowingly and willingly and sometimes unknowingly do that are contrary to His way. And He only does it because He wants us to experience freedom and to flourish in all that we do. This idea of be holy as I am holy doesn't disappear once we get to Jesus in the New Testament. If anything, the heat gets turned up. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 19 says this, Therefore, with minds that are fully alert and sober, uh, that are alert and fully sober, sorry, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. In other words, start by just reflecting on the grace of God. But then he goes on to say this, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. In other words, what, what, what are we saying here? Reflect on God's grace. That forgiveness is offered to you because of what Jesus has done, that your sins will not be counted against you, that you've been given a gift that you could never earn for yourself. That never changes. But God actually wants to start, once you've discovered God's grace, we don't just keep calling upon it. It's always there, it never disappears. But, but God says, okay, but but once you discover my grace and you discover that I'm good and you discover that my way is good, what I wanna do is a process in you to start unraveling and dealing with all the mess and the brokenness and the things that you keep doing that limit your freedom and stop you from flourishing. So I want you to deal with the sin in your life is what God says. He goes on to say this, since you call on a father who judges each Each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see, God's established a roadmap for our lives where when we choose to walk within it, we choose to live in freedom and we choose to flourish. But all of us carry mess. But those of us in relationship with Jesus, I wanna say this today, He wants to do something good and new and fresh in you to help you experience life as you were truly created to experience it. And I wanna ask you a very confronting question and it's this, I get the band to come and join me. In what areas of your life right now are you currently, knowingly or even unknowingly living outside of the life that God has called you to? Let me give you some prompts. Ephesians 5, not my prompts, Prompts from the Word. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And here's some prompts. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are in for God's holy people. Nor shall there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And finally, find out what pleases the Lord. I'm gonna finish today saying this, live as children of light. If follower of Jesus here today, live as children of light. So we don't like having to confront sin in our own life. It's easier to confront it in someone else's life. It's easier to excuse it in our own and to gloss over it. But there's a time, I think one of the lost arts and disciplines in the church is the art of confession and the act of confession. Of regularly saying, God, what is it in my life that you want to shine a light on? What is it right now that you need to deal with? What is it right now that's making me less reflective of the person that you've called me to be? What are the things, I might've been a Christian for 35 years, but what are the things that have just become such second nature to the way I act and operate that today you wanna put your finger on? What are the habits that I've grabbed onto that, have just become so normal a part of the ritual of my life that I've even forgotten that they're not good? What are the things I do when I'm tired that you want to address? What are the relationships that I need to act differently in? God, is there greed in my life you need to deal with? Do I gossip? Do I talk about other people and pull them down more than I build them up? Do I have an issue with anger? Am I greedy, God? Am I keeping more for myself than I'm letting you challenge me to give to others? God, what is it you wanna shine your light on today? Some of us have told ourselves that the sin that we're really aware of Right now, now, you're not listening to me because it's just, you know, it's sitting in your mind. And over time, you've told yourself it's not a big deal. You've told yourself that God's grace trumps everything, that the things you're doing are no one. No one's really getting hurt. Young people hear this is an unpopular message, but are you living a pure life sexually? Are you honouring God with your body? You may not understand why God asks you to do things in a particular order, in a particular way, but... What if even you don't have all the answers? You know that at the end of it is a good God who wants you to flourish. Therefore, the things He calls you to do actually gonna help you flourish. What is it? I reckon this morning, God's calling us to take some time to confront our sin, to confess our sin and discover some new freedom and flourishing in our life. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just and He might forget. No, it doesn't say that. He will Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Father God, right in this moment now, I wanna pray by your Holy Spirit that you would be speaking into our hearts, that you'd be bringing to mind the things that we have been holding on to, the things that we've been doing that we need to let go of this morning. We need to confess to you and we need to seek your forgiveness for. God, we stand in the promise this morning that anything we bring to you, you choose to forgive. There is no sin that You choose to hold against us. The Bible tells us that anything that we confess, that Your grace is enough for us, that that when You forgive us, You don't hold on to it. You don't hold it for collateral later on. It says that You forgive and then You remove our sin from us as far as the East is from the West, never to be seen of again, never to be heard of again, never to impact our relationship with You again. But Father, this morning, would You just Do what is an uncomfortable work in us and confront the things right now for us that we need to face. Hey, if you are here this morning and you've never made the decision to begin a relationship with Jesus, He loves you so much that He wants you to live a life of freedom and a life of flourishing. And He's gentle and He's kind and He's not gonna expect you to turn up tomorrow and have got it all together. He, like He's done with all of us, will take His time with you and help you discover what life truly looks like. But the Bible talks about there being a moment, a starting point where we choose to surrender our life to God and we choose to make the declaration that He is our Lord and our Saviour and we're gonna lean into all that He's done for us. And there's a moment where the Bible says that if, if we just declare that He is Lord, that He wants to flood our life and fill our life and start a new relationship with us, that your sins can be given, forgiven and your future can be secured. Just while everyone else is sitting in silent prayer this morning, can I ask if you've never done that, I'd love just to lead you through a prayer. We've got a prayer that we bring up on the screen and love just to step you through that and help you today make this your moment where you start on a brand new life of freedom and flourishing with Jesus as Lord with His work on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins made real for you in this moment. Is there anyone here today that would love for the very first time to start that journey of following Jesus? If that's you, can I just ask wherever you are, just so I can see, just raise your hand I'm just gonna lead you through a prayer. He's gonna pray along with me where you sit. But is there anyone here today that would like to make that decision, that step for the very first time? Just so I can see, just wave at me and we'll pray together. Anyone here this morning? Cool. I need Jesse and the band to play and I'll just sing over us for a moment. And what I want you to do, I want you to just have it a moment sitting in your seat. Don't want you to sing, I just want you to pray if you're willing. Scary prayer. God, shine your light on me this morning. Reveal any unclean or improper or destructive way in a scary prayer. It's an uncomfortable prayer. None of us like having to confront the mess and brokenness and sin in our own life, but I encourage you to do it right now because I want to then give you an opportunity to do something that means when you walk out of this place this morning, you've dealt with it. God's dealt with it. He's forgotten about it and He walks you into a brand new day. Take a moment in silent reflection as the band sings over us this morning. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.